0: 101 horror books to read before you're murdered is for you. And who who are you? You are a seasoned horror fan who is looking for maybe the b-sides of an album that you haven't found yet or you're looking to just wrap your head around some definitions that some essayists in this book are going to cover for you just to be entertained or to just kind of like encapsulate the last 20 years of horror or you are a brand new horror reader you don't know where to start you would love to get into horror and you just need kind of a guidebook to walk you through and navigate such an explosive genre-like horror that is just really off the hook right now. So you would want to pick this up and kind of use it as a map um, to guide your way through a very... Uh, hot genre right now. Or you have been in it for some time, uh, maybe like the last 10 years, and you want to know what has gone before that back until like the early 2000s and what to look forward to in the future. Maybe find a few new favorite authors and explore their back catalog and then just kind of like enjoy reading about all of your favorite books that you've already read. I mean, that's one aspect of this book as well, is if you have read the book, it is kind of fun to hear from somebody else what they thought about it or how they sell it. And that will help you kind of sell it when you're talking to your friends. So I think there's really something for everyone in here. And it's from the perspective of like an ultimate fangirl who isn't pretentious about talking about horror. It's not going to be over your head. It's going to be like you're at a coffee shop with your best friend talking shit about books.
1: The first thing I wanted to go over was I had written out all these notes about the different types of things that are in this book and um, my kind of comments about, you know, how that, how, how, what, what's nice about that and the way the format is. And then um, I was reading on the back um, of the book because it's all like, it's the promo stuff. It's not like what the final back copy is going to be. It says during promotions, we kindly ask that you help keep the books features a secret by not sharing the full list. And then I was like, wait, that changes my entire approach to this conversation because if we want to, um, preserve like kind of the surprise of things, I have to be a little bit more careful maybe about the way we talk about things.
0: Yes. We should definitely protect the list, but I can talk about everything else surrounding it. So how I picked it and why I picked them and blah, blah, blah. Uh Like we can totally talk about that, but like very specific books, or like the 10 authors in their uh-huh. future. Yeah, probably
1: not. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so we're talking more in vague terms.
0: Yes. To avoid spoilers. Kind of. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's, that's, that's helpful for me. Um, I, although I guess maybe I might end up talking about horror authors that I care about. And it's up to the listener to decide whether they're on this list or not. Because, yeah. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. It'll uh, be pretty clear. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I think that here's the thing. I think that um, the whole one of the things I think is is well, first of all, when I found out you were making this book, I was like, "Good, like um, this is the type of thing that." So it makes me first think of Grady Hendrix's Paperbacks from Hell, um, and that's a real kind of snapshot of the past. Whereas this is more kind of intentionally of a contemporary look at at horror. So. I'm assuming that this is due to like we're looking at horror through your lens and what has yeah. touched you. Is that kind of what the the idea was?
0: Yes, a hundred percent. Yes.
1: Um and where did uh did you have the idea or did someone approach you and say why haven't what you done this approach yet? me. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: this was like not on my radar at all. Oh really? Yeah
1: how did that go? Like, um, was it the page street publishing the people who, who did it or?
0: Yeah. So basically, um, um, my editor, Alexandria, she approached me in an email through nightworms and asked me if I was agented and said, you know, obviously this conversation, you can go ahead and just jump in with me. Or like, if you have an agent, we can pull them into it. Um, But we just were wondering if you would be interested in this project. And they kind of detailed uh, what they were looking for, what she was looking for specifically. She's a junior editor at Page Street. Um, And I just kind of was intimidated by the entire idea at first. I was like, I don't know. So I told them I wanted to just kind of like think about it. Um, And then... I mean, I already write like all these reviews for all of these books and I read like 150 to 200 books a year. So I feel like I had kind of a a knowledge base that I could go off of and I could probably talk about horror books for a really long time. So I thought this is possible. Like I with their framework and their ideas and the way that they want to execute it, I bet I could, you know, work through this and and then I said yes. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so did they have a, a a pretty solid vision of what they wanted it to look like, or did you have a lot of say of of like the different elements of the book?
0: Alexandra had a vision for sure, um, but they they really listened to me in terms of what I felt comfortable talking about. Um, which when I was growing up reading horror, I definitely have like a very specific uh, context. I was reading a lot of what my mom already had. So I was reading like Agatha Christie and, you know, Dean Koontz and Peter Straub and Stephen King and really didn't know anything about any kind of indie um you know, authors or anything that was just kind of like off the radar a little bit. It was all like really mainstream horror. Um, So I didn't feel comfortable going back into the analogs of history to do like a massive list. Plus, those are like very readily available on the Internet. Yeah. Um, Like you can Google like a Rolling Stone style 500 list of books you have to read kind of thing and get everything that goes all the way back to like Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff. So I didn't want to redo something. Plus, those kinds of classics would knock off other less noticeable books that I felt were really important to be on a list like this. They would just take up all the room, essentially.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And um, uh, even contemporarily, uh, there are some conspicuous absences like uh, Stephen King, for example, isn't mentioned. Yeah. And, and like, I think in your introduction, you even say like, duh, Stephen King. Yeah. Um, but like that would really crowd the list, I think, too, if um if if we were throwing those in the mix.
0: Plus, I would have to narrow down Stephen King's work, which I've never <laughs> been good at in the first place. Like my top 10 Stephen King books changes like periodically, seasonally mood, you know, like it just yeah depending on the day that I make a list, whatever books will be on there. So there's no way that you could go through 65 novels of Stephen King and just be like, Oh, I picked this one for a 101 list. Like, no, <laughs> Fuck yeah. no but I sneak yeah. them in a lot in this book. <laughs>
1: um, that it is. There, there's not even in a cheeky way, but just because like, um, it's almost like when um you have like a zombie movie and they don't say the word zombie. It's like, you fucking know what a zombie is. Like, it's kind of like that. Like if you have a book like this and Stephen King doesn't come up somehow, it's like, we know, you know who he is.
0: Well, and I just kind of assume that either people know who he is and they've chosen not to read his books or they have, and they didn't like it, or they already are like a huge fan. That's the assumption. Like, out of all of the authors in all of the world, I think there are relatively around like 10 that people can recognize like on the street, if we're really honest with ourselves, because they're not like movie celebrities where you see their faces on TV all the time. You know, they're they're behind the scenes, they're behind the books. So, you know, if you saw Stephen King walking down the street, you would know who he is. You know, there's only a few of those kinds of authors, I think, that Rel, you know totally not relative to their success just recognizably who they are mm-hmm. and so i think everybody knows he's he is a household name
1: right right yeah and like not even just as horror but like as an american author like yeah. As, yeah. like it he doesn't you know it's it's he's that big so yeah, yeah. that's it's a good point <laughs> um Then uh, I guess one of the first thoughts I had, uh, especially when I was reading through um, when you talk about like the books that are actually on the list, because if a book is on the list, you kind of give a quick summary of it. I don't want to say it's more kind of like your response thing. It's not like a it's not like a review saying this is X, Y, Z. It's like here are the elements of this book. And there's even um, like a handy little kind of code system that you have. So is this drawn from uh, existing stuff you wrote or is this all fresh for the book?
0: Yeah, I, my editor was very clear that this all needs to be original materials. Some of it, I think within maybe like a 10% frame was pulled from previous um, reviews and such ways that I've talked about the book because It's impossible to come up with a new way to talk about a book that I've talked about a lot of times. So many of the recommendations on this book I have actively promoted since, you know, 2015, 17, you know, in that range. So for me to talk about a book that I've been talking about for five, seven years in a different way uh, was challenging, but I also wanted it to be fresh for people who follow me on bookstagram or twitter or follow my reviews like i'm not repeating myself so i did you know the extra leg work to make sure that there was a lot of original content in here all the introductions to all the subgenres and then the larger genres is all original like yeah it's all it's yeah. all fresh
1: and then um Based on that, do you feel like your voice to the reader of this book is different than your voice? Um, how you usually talk about books, like either on social media or like with your your um, uh, posts about books on like Goodreads and stuff like that, or writing in <laughs> uh, publications.
0: Yeah, somebody commented about that. A friend of mine actually said, um, "You're." your the way that you review has evolved. Like I think at first it used to be very fangirly cheerleading style. Like I would write a review and it would just start off like, oh my fucking God, you <laughs> 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 or I would tweet about it like that too. I would just be like, oh shit, this book blew my mind. You know, that's how I used to talk about uh horror. Um, and I still have that same excitement. But I realize, like in order to be palatable for like all audiences, I need to kind of explain more where the excitement is coming from and just be more articulate about my experience. And that takes a lot of practice and a lot of work. I think at first it's hard to know how to say that you love something sp- specifically when you're talking about one book, you know, like what particularly did you love about this book? So I've had to like ask myself, okay, you love it and you want to shout about it, but what exactly do you want to say about this book? So I've really had to fine tune that.
1: Yeah. Uh, In my previous conversation with Philip Frakowski, my most recent episode, um, we got so into kind of the mechanics of storytelling and um, things that he did to effectively like have me as a reader you know be in, invested in in characters and stuff and it got yeah. to the point where like at some point he was like hey if you're reading this book none of this matters like this is just stuff that you know I do but you don't have to think about this stuff while you're reading right and so what you were just saying made me think about I think one of the things that I've always kind of fallen into when I'm talking about a book on a podcast or just telling someone about it is I get so caught up in all of the little things that make it the bigger good thing that i worry that i'm losing them and i'm not hitting the big point which is like um it's entertaining it pays as well like the characters are relatable whatever i don't i don't hit those big points as much because i'm like zeroing in so is there something that you do to make sure that it it really does get the bigger point across
0: Yeah, so when you're having a conversation with someone, and I do this with people who kind of pop into my DMs on social media and ask me for a book recommendation, I feel like I need to know a little bit more information about what they're looking for. Like, they'll just say, do you have any horror books that you can recommend, which that is a very large topic. Um, So yeah, exactly. Um, So I just try to ask them more questions and try to narrow it down. Like, what's your favorite horror trope? Like, what kind of horror movies do you like to watch on TV? Um, You know, what do you watch at home? Like, I just try to get a general consensus of what they're already gravitating toward and then I can point them in the right direction, but that's like more conversational. So in the sense of like a book like this, I try to just consider that my audience is made up of like seasoned horror fans, uh, people who are just trying it for the first time, people who've kind of been in and out of it. Um, And I take that into consideration and I try to like hit those points that maybe would come up while we're having a conversation. So that's why there's like a key sort mm-hmm. of for each book so that people can say, I love psychological horror. And you can go through this book and find like all the books that have the psychological horror emblem and know that that's going to hit something for you. Or um, And, you know, the, the where, where I got this idea of kind of breaking it down like that is from um, Novelist. Which is part of your library. So if if you have a library card and you look up your personal local library online, you can find like a menu that gives you um, resources. And then in the A to Z list, you can find under N novelist. Click it. Log in with your uh, specific library card that's identify. You know, is your identity to you, um, and sign in and then you have access to this entire database of books and then they have comps for the books that you're looking for they have they've broken it down by like even region or location like oh this book is set in you know hawaii or this book is set in georgia you know so it's broken down in those ways that helps people narrow down the field which is what i wanted to do in my book yeah
1: no that makes total sense and um I think that came up when, so we did a podcast episode, me and you and Becky Spratford for Lit Reactor when I was doing that for a brief moment. And yeah. that was something that we came up with or came that came up in the conversation. And um, it's, to me, I think that anybody who's, I mean, there's people that just read and read and read. And then, but I feel like once you start having conversations about books in a one way or another, it kind of forces you to think about what a book is like the components of a book more um and then so it almost kind of pushes you to do some of that categorization on your own but it's but then beyond that knowing that there are resources like that are are awesome because when I was a much more casual reader I would I had like the five authors I knew I liked and then I didn't know how to go past that so like if I knew about novelists then who knows? Like I would, you know, right. how how much sooner I would have gotten to all of the amazing stuff that I love reading now. So, yeah, that's an incredible resource that I think more people should know about. And just go to your fucking library in general, because if you don't, <laughs> you're you're like doing yourself a disservice.
0: Yes, a hundred. Like, uh, you know, shout out to Becky Spratford also because he has taught me a lot about how to recommend books and has really been instrumental in the way that I have geared my book response. I don't even call them a review anymore. Um, I just call them a response because a review is more like, it puts in your mind like a critical kind of way to think about a book and saying like yes or no to reading it, which that's not my vibe. Like I would never tell somebody not to read something. Um, So librarians have this sort of like duty to the public, if you will when the public asks them for book recommendations, they need to have on hand like sort of this catalog of things that they can say, and they would never deter a reader from something. And so that's how I've learned to approach reviewing. And I don't say like, I say this book was not for me. I'm comfortable saying that, but I would never say this book is not worth your time essentially.
1: Yeah, totally makes sense. I feel like even when I was like newer in reviewing, I didn't, I tried not to just trash a book if I, if it wasn't for me, yeah. I would say, I feel like this is the kind of audience that would enjoy it. Like, yes. and then that way, at least I was not saying, I was not putting a value judgment on the thing. I was just acknowledging that like, you know, not everybody's going to like your book and yeah. or not, not everybody's going to have the, the experience you hope you, your readers have with the book. And that's okay because every, you know, you have an audience you're not going to get everybody or whatever right um so yeah that's um i think that that's that's something that has to come i think with time though you uh unless you set out from the beginning thinking i'm going to n- review in a certain way i think i think that over time you you come to the realization that you know um like just straight up putting a value on a book whether it's good or bad just doesn't really make sense
0: Yeah. I mean, people, it's such a subjective thing when we're reading. It's just so personal and certain things are going to be turning one reader off and it's going to be the thing that turns another reader on. And so that's really kind of the funny thing about writing a book like this too, is I'm sure there's going to be so many people who are like, I can't believe like it's going to start off exactly like that. I can't (laughs) believe that she didn't put X, Y, and Z on the list. Well, I mean, it's hilarious because we all have these massive TBRs and these toppling stacks of books to read. There is no way in hell I could read everything in order to consider it for a list like this. So that's one thing. I'm one person. My knowledge is limited. And secondly, I have an opinion, I have a taste, I have preferences, I have triggers, I have a whole set that is unique to me, that is going to be wildly different than the next person. So the fun thing is being on bookstagram, you realize that there are so many people out there in the world who are just like you, like, yeah. Down the line, you're going to say something, oh, I love this book. And you're going to get somebody say, oh, I loved it too. And then after time, you realize we love the same book. So when you recommend something, I'm buying it. When I recommend something, you're buying it. Like, yep. that's what this is. This was born out of that kind of like relationship where there are readers out there who are just like you. They love what you love. And then there are readers who you're not compatible with at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I will. And this is an aside because what you just said made me think of it um, like you ag- already acknowledged, you read a, a ton of books a year compared to the average person. Um, you read the number you read and that's fine. Um, but so in my mind, I, I, I start at there's no way that, you know, I'm ever going to read as much as Sadie does. I just don't read that many books there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when I see that you're starting a book that I've read that I liked, I'm like, Oh, she gets to get this experience. So, um, you yeah. just posted recently that you were going to read, um, The Devil All the Time Ugh. by, um, Donald Ray Pollock. And I was like, and so that was one that was on my, I met Donald Ray Pollock back in like 2011, and I read his wow. book back then. And I was like, oh, she is in for a great experience. So I get that, um, by you know seeing the people I know reading things that I've read and loved, and I'm just like, "Oh, have so much fun and and so yes. that one I mean- for specifically I thought was I was really excited that you got to dive into that
0: well, and we're mutuals on social media, right, so yep. we we see what what each other you know what what what's on deck. I even have that same response when I see a stranger in public reading a book that I enjoyed. Like, and I think that that's the same for readers everywhere. It's like a universal love language. Like you see somebody reading a book that you enjoyed and you immediately want to go up to them and be like, let's talk about this book. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of the, the community aspect of, of reading in that we do experience it in kind of an isolated way. Like it's a very, um, singular thing that we're doing reading, but we also want to jump on social media or Goodreads or whatever, and just like share that experience with other people in yep. the hopes that they can have that experience. Like the minute you said that title, the devil all the time, like I've only read 40 pages and I'm already <laughs> <laughs> as enthusiastic as you can be. I, this guy's writing is definitely, definitely something that appeals to me.
1: Yep yeah yeah he's great it is a great yeah. book um yeah. and actually the movie adaptation is surprisingly good too so um
0: and tom holland's uh, in it i think and tom holland's
1: in it yeah so yeah. that's that's yeah. always good i love him um and then my other little indulgence is i noticed that you got a copy of mother howl by craig clevenger and he is like uh, my another. he's like my brother like that guy yeah. we go back and i love that guy he he was the guy who um we had on to um, do the final episode of my original podcast, like to yeah. kind of close it down. And, but then when I saw that you were, it, you, you owned it and I was assuming probably you'd get around to reading it. My mind was like, she gets to see the fucking precision <gasps> and like the craft work of this yeah. man. And it's just, uh, it's so good. So uh, that's I'm another so one I was excited, excited. about.
0: <laughs> yeah. And not again, is like the power of suggestion because I love, you know, Paul Tremblay's work. I love Stephen Graham Jones's work. And I was seeing that book pop up on their feed yeah. and they were talking about it. So it made me want to get it. And then Clive like was so kind to ask if I wanted, you know, an advanced copy. And I said, yes. And then my dad was here over the weekend and I was telling him about it. So he went out and he bought it. And that <laughs> is the viral power of yep. just word of mouth, like, excitement about yep. a book which is my favorite vibe in the history of the world like that is my favorite favorite thing I was I was born to do this shit like yeah because it gives me just like the when you're talking about a book and I get and I know that I have it and I get to experience it for myself and you're so excited that makes me excited so
1: yeah well and you got me st- you got me fired up for reading Fever House by Keith Rawson. Yeah. Um, by your, re, the thing that I don't do that you do is you post, you do posts with your progress in a book. And um, so if I've read it, I'm like, oh, she's at this part. But if I haven't, yeah. I'm like, wow, she's really selling this to me. So it is an effective <laughs> way to, and I know we're way off the book right now, but. um
0: Oh, no. This, this is, is all part of the book. This is all part of
1: this. <laughs> But this is kind of like the fundamental thing of it is. Yeah. We're enthusiasts and we're, you know, we're touched by a book in a certain way. We're changed by the story we read and stuff. And we want other people to to experience that as well. I, I And I think that with your book, the introduction, I think, sets such a great tone because it is it feels very authentically you. It doesn't feel um, academic or stuffy or or stuffed with purpose, it really felt like you were just talking to me and saying like, Hey, this is what this is about. So, um, I, if that, I I hope that's what you were going for, because I think it it really sets a good tone.
0: That's how I like to talk about books is conversationally. And I don't like to try to change that in order to put on a a writer voice, um, and just, you know, get into some other kind of style that doesn't feel like me. Um, I really want it to be a feeling like if somebody picks this book up, they have a really good understanding of who I am as a reader, but also how I how I perceive books and talk about them to others. Like I didn't want to change that at all. Uh, my reviews are kind of that way too, like on Goodreads or published in magazines. I talk that way and scream. Like I always preface my, my publishing platforms with like, is it okay if I cuss? Because I mean, <laughs> I, that's just who I am as a person. Like I, it would be weird for me to, and Amazon is so dumb. Like and when you try to review a book on Amazon and you can't say cuss words and I'm sitting here editing myself saying, you know, like frig or effing instead of fuck. <laughs> and it's just like, what, what we're adults here. Like, I mean, can I just talk like how I talk? So I don't, I don't try to put on airs or something that I'm not like, I wasn't born to be a writer. I was born to be a reader. And now I just Mm -hmm. want to talk about books.
1: (laughs) And I love it. Yeah. I think um, it does set up, first of all, kind of like the voice we'll hear with the subsequent, like, you know, uh, sections and and explanations of types of categories and stuff, but then also just like the way you talk about books. Um, But that's how we talk about books. That's you know, when you're when you're talking to someone and you're like, oh, my God, you have to listen to this. It's not like, yeah. well, I believe based on these factors, you don't talk like that. You, no. you talk like you talk. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that was a good way to to start out the book. But then um, really appreciated how it was broken up into some of the categories and stuff as well. So I'm assuming. If it was me making this book, this would probably be the thing that would take time is is. um figuring out what makes sense to how to break it down, like how to break it down in a way that makes sense, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But then also what fits where and why. So was that like a challenge for you?
0: Yes, it was such a challenge. I mean, just to peek behind the veil a little bit, I had to fight to have short story collections um, in this book. Really? Well, so (laughs) when people say books, you know, 101 horror books to read before you're murdered. Some people will hear the word book and they will think novel. And for me, just being in the world of books, I know that books can be novels. They can be short story collections. They can be novellas, you know, um, anthologies. So I, I won't necessarily, the fight is the wrong word because they are very (sighs) gracious and listening to me. I just had to preface this list with saying that some of these are going to be short story collections and and is that okay um i didn't want to go with anthologies because that brings in like a ton of different authors which is like a whole kind of different thing but like um you know can it at least be singular author short story collections and they said you know within reason like can there at least just be like 10 or 12 but the rest be novels um or novellas and i and i thought that that was fair Um, because I think that it's tough to categorize a short story collection. So I knew that that was going to be a challenge because they're so eclectic in their tone and style and subgenre. So it was hard to we tried to filter those in under like, you know, supernatural or eco horror. We tried to do that at first. And some of those short story collections do kind of gravitate toward a certain subgenre like cosmic um but in the at the end of the day where you're like let's just put them under <laughs> short stories it's so much easier yeah. just to say here's all the short stories
1: that makes sense yeah because yeah. like i just think about um i don't know why but the first thing that came to mind was john fd taff has a book called the end and all beginnings and um yeah. that's all over the map like i, I would not yeah. you cannot categorize that into no. one like subgenre, it's he's there's one's literally on a foreign planet in the future or something, so like, right. yeah, that you can't you couldn't put them all together, so
0: right No, yeah. we tried, it was bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be. I feel like the work for me would be because then I want to test it and be like, is this the right place? Does it fit somewhere else? And like, really, because then I would be like, I know people are going to challenge me if I got something wrong, so I, I don't well, want
0: to. <laughs> Yes. And that's how I game the system a little bit with the categorization, like the um, little icons that are throughout the book to let people know, like, oh, this is psychological, or this is that, or this is this, is because so many books fall under multiple categories that I didn't want to try to squeeze them into one subgenre and be like, that's all that this book is about. Like you brought up Fever House. Fever House is <laughs> a complete mishmash of, you know, Crime and drama and apocalyptic and mystery and rock and roll and I mean it has so much going on in those pages that it would be um, you know kind of difficult to kind of pigeonhole it into one subgenre. Right. So I was thankful that I had other ways to kind of identify the book for people.
1: Yeah, yeah, that yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And actually, I didn't really think about that before, but having that little key with every book. Really does kind of so, like, it's like kind of a general grouping, and then when you're looking at the individual book, it's like this is what this specific book is really about. So, yeah, no, that's super helpful and um, really clever. So, congratulations! Oh, good, that.
0: yeah, because you know, how sometimes you'll look at a book and be like, This is a haunted house book, but secondarily, it's also psychological, or secondarily, it's also. Um, you know, a mystery or it's a cosmic haunted house, you know, you. so I just I wanted to like, yeah, filter it into its proper category at large and then in general and then also have, yeah, these like subways to kind of categorize it because that's how we look at things when we're in the store like you pull a book off the shelf. You flip it over, you look at it. I like totally scan for keywords. I see ghost, yeah. I see gothic, I see some certain buzzwords and I know what, or I'm pretty sure I know what I'm getting into.
1: And it's really, now that now that we're talking about this, um, I go back to, because I, I just talked to Philip Fricassi about Boys in the Valley and I started, I literally started the conversation talking about possession stories. And he immediately pushed back saying that he didn't think it was specifically a, a, a possession story. And then we had a whole conversation about it. And then, like, you know, we kind of came around to the idea that um, the real thing is that there's, like, an evil influence. So, you know, like, he was trying to be ambiguous about it. And then we were talking about your book, and it's in the, like, um, demonic possession kind of situation. <laughs> and he's like, ooh, maybe yes. I shouldn't have said all this stuff.
0: <laughs> yes, I mean... If I'm going to share that book with people, there are certain buzzwords that sell a book, like you said, you you know, um, and there are fans who gravitate towards something, regardless of what it is. You have like your vampire junkies. You have people who will read anything to do with witches. You will have people who like the scariest thing for them is demon possession. That's one of mine. Um, And if you tell someone this has demon possession, uh elements in it it's an insta buy and uh, that's why you know there are so whether or not an author like agrees or not with the (laughs) categorization of their book I think I know how to sell it to other readers in the sense that like it has these elements and I know that people are looking exactly for that so yeah
1: yeah that totally makes sense and then but then because then there's so many um subtleties to it so the first thing i think of is so if i was going to recommend boys in the valley to someone i'd i'd think okay did you like head full of ghosts did you like you know um come closer or whatever yeah but then i would also be like did you read that the latest grady hendrix because like you know the whole like was it pupkin yeah situation (laughs) like if you were into the pupkin element like you know there's something there that yeah there's a vein that's similar in this book so uh, you like regardless of what the author wants, like if the, if the idea is connecting someone to something that they're going to um, react positively to. Yeah. I think that that's the goal. That's the goal.
0: Yes. That that's been like a new element to my reviews this year that I've included. I have a template now for every review that I write. So I just kind of go through a template, which helps me to be articulate about the finer points of a book. But I do comps now because I feel like there are vibes that I get that are not necessarily like Apple for Apple style comps, but they're more like a vibe. So like for Boys in the Valley, I would appeal to people who enjoyed reading um, The Name of the Rose. Uh, um, I forget the author is... Forgot that one. But if you saw the movie with like Sean Connery um, and then if you, you know, it's this whole like isolated Abbey type mm-hmm. of situation like if you like that then this has that kind of element where you have this like isolated home for boys this like orphanage and that's going to appeal to somebody immediately yep. like immediately like we all love those like coming of age like religious trauma like boys trying to be boys but are being like oppressed you know what i mean like a lord right. of the flies <laughs> style thing yeah
1: yeah Yep.
0: comps are helpful
1: <laughs> um yeah i actually in, in the later years of booked the podcast i ended up when i was reviewing something i had just a rubric where it was like eight different um elements to a s to a story and i would instead of just trying to talk about a book based on what i remembered and my impressions of it where i was like what was this element of the story like was this was this strong was it not something that was as well represented and i went off of that and i found that it'd be made it more, more rich, like more, um, like helpful useful maybe to talk about a book that way. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. It also helps me to avoid spoilers because I feel like a lot of times people talk about books, very, very spoilery. It's, It's not on the back of a book. Like you probably shouldn't mention it is kind of my rule of thumb. um, Because, like, you know, I just read a review in a very prolific newspaper, and it said something that wasn't on the back of the book or part of the synopsis, and it is a bit of a reader discovery spoiler. Like, that's the fun part about there's actually one, too, for a new uh, Rachel Harrison book coming up, too, where oh, yeah. I just tell everyone, just don't fucking read the reviews because people are ruining the best part. And mm-hmm. I went into it blind, and when I got to the reveal to this like reader discovery, I felt like, oh, Rachel, you got me, you know? Like, right. You got me. And I feel like there's so many subtleties that can be spoiled by people just sh- oversharing. Like just don't overshare yeah. plot details and keep it real to like experience. Oh, I felt scared or this gave me anxiety. Like, you know, talking points that are more about your personal reading experience versus like plot details is like yeah. really helpful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know what review you're talking about and I was <laughs> just agonizing over Very that.
0: Disappointing.
1: Yeah. Um, switching gears just a little bit, uh, one of the things that, uh, another thing that, so I just liked all of the elements of the book, so I don't have to keep saying, I liked this, I like this. <laughs> yes, um, thank
0: you.
1: <laughs> but I want to talk about, um, there are some really, um, I want to say maybe passionate uh, guest essays, I guess is kind of the way that I put it. So in throughout the book, and I don't and I want to spoil who does them, unless you do, um, but there are these guest essays, and typically they're talking about horror in general, or their um, particular um, like strengths or whatever within horror. And um, that was really cool too, because again, it's kind of reinforcing um, like why we're here, why we're having a conversation. So um, I really enjoyed that part of the book too, because it breaks up just like I'm reading about a book, I'm reading about a book and it's like, yeah. oh wait, this is why I should be excited about this whole pile of books.
0: Yeah. There were messages that I felt were important to convey to people who would be picking up this book um, that I felt were important to say, but I didn't want to say them. Um, I think that there are hugely talented people in the horror writing community that have a lot to say based on personal experience um, that could share those things better than I could. And so I did ask would it be possible if we could have people talking about things that I feel is important, but don't want to necessarily write myself? Um, And they loved the idea. And when they pitched it to the bigger people involved in this project, um, they actually told us that we could even invite more people. So at first it was just like, could we have one or two people? And then it snowballed into the five essayists that we have. Um, And All of the essays bring something super unique and powerful and informative to the conversation that I think is just a huge asset to the book. I don't think the book would be even anywhere near as informative as it is if those essays weren't in there. I think they're extremely important to the body of of the book itself.
1: And they all really just went for it. Like, it's yes. not, it's not like, it's like, oh, I'm writing a little thing about why, why horror makes me happy or whatever. It's like, I'm talking about my identity. And this is like the yes. most important thing to me. Like they really went deep on it in a way that I wasn't expecting.
0: Yes. I love it. I'm so <laughs> glad you brought that up. It was when they, there were certain essays. Well, really with all of them, I was completely blown away. It, they, they, nailed the assignment. Nobody had to go back and do anything. (laughs) The only thing that was asked of them from the editors was we did have to try to fit each essay onto like its given section. So there was like a few word counts that had to be compromised, but nobody edited voice or anything that just felt super important. Like we really made sure that those essays as they were told are the way that they are represented in the book. Um, Like, you know, when I first started out, there's so many things that you learn from other people that you wouldn't necessarily learn if you were just bumping around by yourself, picking up books, like everything that I've learned that is of any value is because I've, you know, listening to people talk about their personal experience in the book industry. And then also as like readers, Um, and I think it's just extremely important while we're reading to also hear those perspectives, those unique perspectives that just give a little bit of extra insight into how to respond to these books. Like, you know, when you're reading, when the reckoning comes, you know, you you don't want to look at it with, you know, any kind of your own narrow vision. You want to be able to take the whole scope of of the knowledge behind that book and the experience behind that book, and what you know, what what is Latoya McQueen saying? Like here, you know, like what Latanya, excuse me, um, what 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 is um, the overarching reason that this book is in existence? You know, I think that's really important. I think we do yeah. just kind of enter into a consumer-driven um, way of reading books sometimes. Like if you're on TikTok, people buy these large hauls. And then, you know, these books just linger on shelves without being read. And people feel pressure to read all of these books. But it's not a competition. It's not just consumption. It's like, what are these books saying to us? Like, what are they important? Why are they here? Like, why did the author write it? I think those are all like really important questions, which the essays answer to.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and that immediately makes me think of talking to Alma Katsu about the fervor. Yeah, And um, how she's definitely evolved into um, her historical horror books kind of blatantly being commentary on things that are happening in modern society. So, like, the Japanese internment camp story being fundamental to the fervor is a huge commentary on, you know, anti-Asian situations because of, uh, you know, the pandemic and everything like that. So, yeah. the book is great on its own understanding yeah. her cultural like lens on that and and why it was important for her to tell the story makes the book better um so understanding like the understanding the storytellers and the community informs and makes the reading experience can inform and make the reading experience i think sometimes people just write to be entertaining and that's completely fine yeah. but yeah. um but having a bigger context i think is helpful for for appreciating yeah you know, the stuff you're reading.
0: Yeah, especially in the genre of horror. I mean, horror is such like a visceral um personal thing and we experience that emotion all the time, you know, just living in this world. So with all these different storytellers telling stories and having these like social commentaries and personal asides and things that they want to say through their characters or about their characters. um, It's important for us to, you know, gain context, like you're saying. And that's not to say that like you have to go out and listen to all the interviews (laughs) and podcasts. I mean, mean, it's already hard enough to get through like our TBRs, not to mention like, you know, trying to do like a deep dive on every single one of them. But if you just have a general knowledge, just even reading like the end pages is where I, I like to tell people like, if you don't have time to listen to interviews or, you know, whatever, that's one thing. But read the acknowledgments, read the author's notes, read the beginning pa- the the beginning matter, the if there's a introduction or whatever, it does give, you know, some bare bones, some essentials that could give a perspective to the book you're actually reading. Yep. Yeah.
1: And the thing that came up the thing I thought of while you were just saying that, um, kind of before the point you were making was um my girlfriend just randomly I was talking to her one day and she's like, Every day in a woman's life is horror. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> so um but there's so much that a woman goes through that, you know, is horrible or or, you know, whatever. Um, that yeah, like, you know, that's just something that I didn't really think about before being not a woman. But um
0: Yeah, just so... having
1: a open <laughs> open perspective op- more open perspective does kind of change the way you think about things.
0: Yes, 100%. Like, I mean, women in general, like, I mean, just telling stories of like motherhood and birth and just being a woman in this world. Like, you know, I was watching um, a Black Mirror episode. I think it was Demon 76. So it was like the fifth episode of the sixth season. And my husband, the girl is like trying to unlock a door and she's fidgeting around with her keys. And there's kind of some sketchy people over here. And my husband was just turned to me and he was like, I can't believe like women have to just go through this life as like jittery scared little rabbits, you know, sometimes like that sucks. And I was like, yeah, that's why we fucking write and read horror and we're addicted to true crime. I mean, it's all homework for us. You know, it's all of us (laughs) talking about our trauma and then learning about trauma so that we can avoid it. You know, that's like our whole thing.
1: Yeah. Homework or validation, right? Like, oh, other people have this experience too this is yeah yeah um yeah i'm definitely not qualified to talk about that but that when my girlfriend said that it was just so succinct and so like unavoidably true that i was like oh man i am i have this privilege that i have to you know think about
0: (laughs) that's so cool that like you know we can all read these horror books from different perspectives and really gain a lot of insight um and just kind of sit back with it and listen to it and receive Mm -hmm. it
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I, I, one of the reasons that I do this though, is because I like to dig deeper. I like to talk to the author and see like what inspired things and, and this stuff. And I, and I got kind of hooked on that when I was back doing reviews and just talking to another, here's the thing. You don't have to do a podcast. You don't have to interview the author. If you talk to another person about a book you read, that's going to enrich your experience of reading that book. So Um, or I I guess going on a forum or going on social media and seeing what other people's reactions are to a book, I feel enriches your experience of having read that book. So, um, that's pretty easy and it doesn't take, you don't have to listen to every podcast interview with the author, like you said, but it's still seeing shared experience. I think is definitely important.
0: Yeah. And one thing I like to do when I'm writing a review or talking about a book is sometimes I will go and read the polar opposite uh, opinions on Goodreads. Um, Five star reviews are really helpful in getting me excited about talking about what I also loved. And then reading the one star reviews helps me to think critically about my own feelings because sometimes I have blind spots when it comes to like a favorite author. Um, And so if I'm hearing the same kind of criticism over and over again, about a book or about an author, I can really think about that and and think like, am I, you know, not seeing that because I've become so accustomed to the way this person is telling the story. And if it's something that I'm receiving and need to think about and look for in later works, I take that on. But if it's something that I feel strongly opposed to what they're saying, I like to kind of integrate that, not singling those reviews out, obviously, but just... Digesting it, and then letting it inform how I am going to talk about those same issues. You know, like a lot of criticism about certain authors will be like, "I just, you know i I can't get what this, the way this person tells a story, or like, you know, the beats are off for me, or whatever." And then I like to kind of digest that and talk about that in my review. Well, I've heard it said that blah blah blah, you know. And the way that I like to think about this is maybe listen to the author read their own work. It kind of helps with those choppy sentences that you're talking about, because this is the way the person actually reads their work is with those beats. Um, And so I find that that's helpful is to read the fives and the ones, sometimes the threes are really good too, because it's, those are really honest. The threes are the most honest reviews in my opinion, because (laughs) you're saying, hey, I liked it enough to not give it a two or a one, which I feel like are, you know, the, the poor side of the scale. And I didn't love it as much to give it a four or five, but here's what I liked about it and what I didn't. The threes are great. I love to spend time in the threes. Yeah. I don't um, use stars, but <laughs> no, I like yeah,
1: the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I just thought about one of the things when you're talking about um, seeing what common objections are. I feel like, and I don't know if it's happening so much now, but Chuck Wendig used to get just nailed all the time for like the way his sentences were structured or the way that he. Like there was kind of like a staccato way that he wrote yeah. that bothered people. And um like after seeing that enough times, I was I was kind of aware of it when I was reading his stuff and I was like, okay, maybe, but I don't care. Like it's still like really entertaining. I so
0: <laughs> I know. He's he's the one that spoiled me for short chapters. I like, I tell him that all the time. Like going through the Miriam Black series, which is I think seven books. So, you know, you really get immersed in those short chapters where like you turn the page and there's just like two sentences on it. and You turn it yeah. as chapter, the next chapter. I fucking love that stuff now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I get into a, a a chapter that's over 25 pages and I'm like, come on, you yep. know, where yep. am I going to put a bookmark in? Like I'm, I'm tired.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. No, I hear you. Yeah. Um. I think, yeah, he's like right up here. There we go. There you are, Miriam. Yeah, the talk section. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So one of the other things about the book is author spotlights. So without necessarily naming authors, um, the spotlights is an interesting thing because instead of just calling out an individual book on, as part of the list, this is an author where it's like, here is um, a bigger look at this specific author and their body of work. So um, in my mind, I'm thinking this came from, I, like in, in my if it was me, I, I'm, I'm not choosing one book of of this specific author that's on the <laughs> list, you know, so um, I'm guessing that's where that came from, like a little yeah. cheat to be able to talk a little, like a little greater length. But at the same time, the cool thing about that is like um, probably these are people that are a little bit more recognized anyway. And so there is there is a bigger conversation to be had about them, maybe. So am I on the money with that or pretty close?
0: Yeah. I mean, there are a few that <clears throat> I chose them because I feel like they are a little bit lesser known and need a pump up because um, when I discovered their work, and I'm thinking of someone particularly on the 10 spot, but I'm not going to say, but when I first read the first book of this particular author, I was actually pissed that nobody had told me to pick up this person's book before. Like I very much accused the people around me as in like if you have read this book and you <laughs> didn't tell me to read this book like fuck you guys. Yeah. Like I was legitimately annoyed that I hadn't heard of this person so I kind of made it like a little mission to read their entire back catalog and you know, I'm still currently doing that because the person has a lot of, uh, books, but I, I want to talk about that in a way that will make it so that that now, now those people who've read my book can't say that nobody told them, you know, like, I don't want them to feel that way.
1: (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. And, um, I feel like, well, and then within your, the actual list of 101 horror books, it's not just all the names you'd expect either. Like there is, um, there are some people who are lesser known or lesser, lesser talked about. So that's pretty consistent, I'd say.
0: Yeah. And they're not exactly on social media either. Like I didn't want this to be a Twitter writer list because, you know, I feel like If there are readers out there who are on social media, you're pretty much aware of the people who are on there and are talking quite a bit for themselves and people are talking about them. Um, But there are authors out there who are choosing not to be on social media. And, you know, word of mouth is such like a powerful thing. I don't think that that should stop people from blowing their stuff up and talking about it openly and widely, you know, because that's part of the canon of horror as well. Even though that person isn't out there promoting their own in the traditional sense of the word with social media, um, other people can do that for them. So I've sort of adopted certain authors and that aren't present and try to elevate that out there, you know, try to like amplify, Um, because their work is really good and, and I'm hoping that, um, it's abundantly clear that there are authors who are not participating in the larger conversation online. And then there's tons of readers out there too, and we need to reach them. They're not online. Also running Nightworms, running my business Nightworms has taught me that there are tons of readers out there who are not getting recommendations online. Like, yeah they pick up their, their nightworm subscription. And that's the first time they've ever heard of some of those books and authors is what they get delivered to their door.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that, so you make another good point, which is just um, like signal boosting people in general Um, because there's so like, there's so many around, like this person is Stephen Graham Jones for because I've, I've started, the first time I read a Stephen Graham Jones book was in, I want to say 2011. And so there was a good six, seven years where I was like, this is the most criminally underappreciated author yeah. that exists. And yeah. so at any chance I had, I would, you know, recommend his books. And, we, you know, I would talk about them all the time on my podcast. Thankfully there's some momentum there now. And so Stephen Graham Jones, um, he still like deserves to be talked about because it's not like he's, you know, just because he's more well-recognized, we can just shut up about him. But um, there are, yeah, people like that who I'm thinking if people just read the book, they'd see it, they'd understand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're so tunnel-minded about our own pet genre that we think these major players these big authors or whatever, quote unquote, in our space, like don't need the extra promotion or are are widely known. That is horseshit. Like that's <laughs> the whole reason why I'm going to like voucher con in San Diego in August is to go to this thriller con. Because I guarantee you when I wear my Jay Daniels shirt, people are going to ask me about this because they haven't heard of it. Like there we think that everything you know the horn has been tooted I'm here to tell you no one (laughs) like you can always toot the horn of your favorite author because there is tons of people who have like fucking Adam Neville you know one of my favorite authors every single time I post about him on Instagram without fail I will have at least five to ten people be like Where should I start? This is the first time I've ever heard about him. He has movies on Netflix. You know, he, Paul Tremblay has a blockbuster movie out in the world. And still people will ask me about where should they should start. Like it is not in any stretch of the imagination. These are like big authors. Tons of them have second jobs because they're not full-time writers yet. You know, even though they're published and publish something like once or twice a year, even like, you can still talk about these authors that it's important to, you know, amplify and boost the signal and keep talking about it. Like the, the work is never done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you're passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. And there's the ones where I always, there's the people I always talk about and like, you know, Craig Clevenger is one of them um, because he's just, I've never read. So like, this is just me being a passion passionate about him, but um, the closest I've gotten to someone's like writing craft being so like precise and perfect and like well honed is like, um, did you read shadow of the wind? Carlos? Oh, yes. yes. Like, like Carlos. Ruiz. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: which is right there. Um, <laughs> like it's that level of craftsmanship. Like if you ever read, Clovenger's contortionist handbook you'd be like I've I don't think I've ever actually read a book before today because it's so well written and so wow. just um and it's got that kind of effortlessness where it's like yeah. you overlook maybe that it took so much work to make it feel so effortless and so that's kind of like the Clovenger yes. thing but um so I'll always shove his books on everybody because like it's an experience where you're like oh Oh, I oh I see.
0: <laughs> I love that. I mean, that is how we become fans of anything. I mean, I attribute my horror passion to my mom, you know, who mm-hmm. was recommending horror to me when, when I was super young. That's where I get my music taste, you know, what my parents were listening to in the car. Like, it's exposure um, to things. And so being on Bookstagram and being exposed to all these different readers who are consuming all these different things that they're passionate about and talking about and then you get on TikTok and you have like a younger audience along with some older people too but i mean generally there's some younger people on there who are discovering books that we read, you know, a long time ago. They're just now discovering it and it is such a joy to watch them be like, "Have you read, you know, Shadow yes. of the Wind? Oh, it's so good." blah blah, blah. and now that's going to inform their preferences for all of these new books that are coming out, they're going to be like, oh, that's like, you know, yep. I'm that old. Okay, I'm 47. Like, it's, <laughs> it's like, in a grandma style way, I like really love the fact to, that c- there are kids out there who are experiencing old books for the first time, because there's not an expiration date on these books. So even though I'm reading a lot of new titles per year, I make time for something like, you know, the devil all the time, because yep. that's not a new book, but it's new to me. And I'm going to preach it from the rooftops. I can already tell. So, yeah. you know, it's a yeah. powerful thing.
1: Um, and that's great. Like if you, I feel like if you do kind of tunnel down into a one specific type of book, you're limiting yourself. So, um, it is nice to kind of like step out and do, do something different. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that um, having been paying close attention to books now for I don't know, 12 or 13, good Lord. It's just, it's so long now. Yeah. I love seeing a super fan pop up. Like um, the best example I can think of off the top of my head is um, Greg Green. Yeah. Is, I love Greg. Um, for people who don't know, he's, um, this massive Stephen Graham Jones enthusiast <laughs> um, and Laird Barron. He's a huge and,
0: Laird Barron junkie.
1: Yeah, I was about to prep like um, yeah. beyond that as well. Like he has great tastes, and um, I think he's a big fan of Nathan grid too. And like okay. he he has great tastes, but he has this kind of drive to. Uh, he, he's like a collector. Uh, he's got this like drive, and so he finally just recently completed his Stephen Graham Jones collection, which is not an easy task because. Right. Like I said, Jones was so underappreciated in the like 2010s that everything that he published back then is out of print. So it's like, you got to find it somehow. And thankfully I've got a stack of Jones right here where there's some stuff where I'm like, I could get hundreds of dollars for these. And, um, but like he, like seeing this person who I, I remember when I first saw him, he was asking about, Hey, what other stories should I read? And he was just kind of like feeling out like, Hey, I found this new author. I really like, where do I go from here? And me and my friend Jesse were, like, just feeding and feeding. Like, we know what to do. We know, how like, what to yeah. recommend. And, like, seeing that grow into this, um, like, level of appreciation. Um, and then him being now a resource for other people and spreading the word and, and stuff. And having those kind of dedicated readers who want to get the word out, I think, is great to see. Like, over time, watching these, like, kind of castles of fandom build is, is really cool
0: i love that you said that because um i think when i was a little bit younger i used to have this like sort of snobbiness when it would come to like a pet favorite band of mine that was kind of off the radar i would actually secretly resent the fact that like people were listening to them or like getting into them or you would hear like their song on the radio or in a movie and you're like god damn it like that was my jam and it was mine alone. And I feel super possessive about it. Like now I'm not even going to listen to this band. I'm going to move on to some other like very alt band. But now I, again, this all comes with age because we mature hopefully as we (laughs) grow up. Um, Now it is so much fun to turn people on to pet favorites and to be like you know, watching them even exceed what your library looks like because yep. Greg's out there running down, you know, copies that don't even exist. And it's like really, really cool. I I love super fans. I love these like dedicated bookshelves. Like he's creating these like curated dedicated bookshelves. Another one is um Book Monster. Uh, I was
1: gonna mention him, but I, I Yeah I was trying to remember his actual name on <laughs> George, yes, yeah, yeah, yes,
0: with his <laughs> Paul Tremblay fandom and yeah, literally any he has a, quite a few uh, pet favorite authors where you know he's he's making these like dedicated shelves, and it's it's really cool and it's also kind of speaks to um, I won't say the popularity of a certain author, but it speaks to the hmm. I would say it speaks to more of like the fandom and how like personal it is like to a person because we can all love like an author and all of us like rally around that author and be like, yes, we love it. We love it. But some people it's highly personal for them. They have found a message in there that really resonates with them. And that's a special thing. Um, You know, I'm sure authors are extremely flattered when they see somebody go whole hog like that. And, yeah. and, and I love to be educated too. There's so many rabbit trails of like where these authors have published, like originally like short stories in like magazines that are available for free. And I love that they pass that on to other people. Like, did you read this little short, you know, freebie or this or that? It's great. Yeah. It's, it's a community thing.
1: It is. And that, that makes me think about one thing that I've, I've thought about with um because you've seen it over the years where it's like, um, either if you're listening to if you're like a real dedicated listener to a podcast and you listen to them all the time eventually you'll hear them say like someone reached out to me and said this got me through my cancer journey or whatever mm-hmm. and um so yeah there is that kind of like personal connection that you can't anticipate like you can't create your content in a way knowing this is going to reach a person and it, it i boil it down in my mind to um the kind of idea that like the need finds the art, like Mm -hmm. you um, as a person who's consuming something um, the connection happens when it does, there's no way that you can kind of predict it or force it. Like the connection just happens. Um, So the best thing you can do is just keep consuming and finding new things because that's going to open up the possibility of these like deeper connections to happen. So yeah. and then, again, that goes back to making sure that we're recommending things to people and making sure that people know about it, which is 100%, you know, what this is all about. And yeah. um, But also very necessary because um, another example of of something that I would think would be a no-brainer. So I'm a huge fan of the book, The Raw Shark Texts, and um, yeah, if, if you're familiar with it.
0: What did you say?
1: The Raw Shark Texts.
0: I haven't by, read that.
1: Stephen Hall. Okay. So it's, um, it came out like the late two thousands, like 2007 or something. And one of my favorite books ever, probably my second favorite book ever. I own like 11 different copies of the book. What they're all like right here. They're all like British first edition, Canadian first edition, (laughs) U S first edition signed copies, whatever. Um, and he went about 14 years between publishing that book and his new book coming out in 2021 And I had told so many people about this book, made a ton of people read the book. Um, And then, so when the new book came out called Maxwell's Demon, I did it on the podcast and I was social media all over about it because I was so excited that this book was finally here. And I can't tell you how many people were like, I didn't even know he had a book coming out Yeah, who really loved that first book. And so, yeah, we have to talk about it. We have to, we can't assume that because I knew about it, everybody knows about it
0: yeah that is so important, because, like I said, I was so mad that I read this amazing book that kind of blew my mind um and it no one had told me, and it had been out for like a really long time and when I talked to the author later, just to thank them for even just writing the book because it was so special, they relayed to me that like, yeah, when it first came out, it kind of you know didn't go anywhere, and it was only due to a resurgence like on Reddit and different people like buddy reading it and talking about it on bookstagram that it saw another life which yeah can you just imagine like i like to personify things so can you just like give an anthropomorphic vision to books like (laughs) sitting on a (laughs) shelf being totally neglected when they first came out and then 20 years later People are reading it and they're just like, oh, people do love me. I am good. Like that's so validating to a book and to an author is like I said, there's no expiration date. So, you know, it's so cool to revisit those back titles of your favorite authors instead of just anticipating and waiting for the next one, which you're going to buy on the day it comes out and then not read for two years. You should definitely (laughs) just like go back into their back catalog and catch up you know like read some of that old stuff it's 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 also very insightful into where their the the voice is going in the future i yeah. feel like like i Absolutely. read some old stephen graham jones and i was like i did not know he had that voice in him like there is some dark shit that man put out early on you know and yeah. <laughs> not that it isn't now and it's more refined but I mean, so you're talking
1: about the least of my scars.
0: I am talking about the least of my scars. <laughs> wow. I also read his short story collection after the pupil lights have gone off, which there's some really dark ones in there too. Um, solve for X is yeah. something that will live in my brain in perpetuity. So, yes. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: we haven't talked about the list yet. So, um, probably kind of what I want would like to wrap it up on is, yeah. We're not going to talk about what's on the list, yeah. but I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia. I I, I checked off all the books I've read on this hundred one, this yeah. list of hundred one books. Yeah, and I was really devastated. I'm ashamed of myself <laughs> <laughs> because I've read fourteen of them
0: oh, on the one hundred and one.
1: Yeah, of the hundred and one, was That's really ashamed a- of myself.
0: That's kind of a source of pride for me, actually, because then I can just be like, <laughs> yes, like this is the success. Like I want people to be like, now I have things I want to read.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like the upside of it is there's so many really quality recommendations now that I know I can go in a specific direction. The other thing I noticed about when I was looking at the list was like, oh, I read a bunch in this particular category, but none in this category. So it would actually give me a way to challenge myself to kind of read outside of my normal kind of boundaries. Um, Because if I haven't read anything in Where like where the creepy kids books are talked about, then maybe I need to tap into that a little bit. So um,
0: yeah, and creepy uh, kids is one of my favorite. Which also the the boys in the valley could fit under creepy kids. (laughs) One hundred percent,
1: absolutely it could. (laughs) Um, So have you gotten any kind of uh, uh, early reader talking about like their how they did on the list and stuff like that?
0: Uh, you're the first person to mention okay. that, actually. <laughs> I mean, my my editor really was probably the OG person to say that she is building out her TBR according to what's on the list. She wants to really grab some. And then, um, you know, there was some, some early buzz from uh, Fangoria's podcast, The Color of Dark. Um, and they talked about, you know, well, now I'm adding some books to my list. And that's really just... All I want. I just yeah. want to open people's eyes the way that my eyes were opened when I was just reading a bunch of, you know, like traditionally published books from very well known authors. And then I discovered a few, and it's really hard to pinpoint exactly which book is responsible for the big blowout moment. It was either a Jonathan Jans or a Christy Demeester. Or Anya Alborn. Those are the three that I kind of read early on, especially Anya. I was like, oh, there are women who are telling very good horror stories out mm-hmm. here. And I was just kind of in this, like, is Anne Rice the only one type of
1: yeah. thing?
0: <laughs> um, and then when I discovered, you know, tradition, like, like indie and self-published authors it just blew the lid off of horror for me. Um, So that's kind of what I'm hoping is that people will pick this book up and be like, there is so much more outside of what I'm seeing on Barnes and Noble bookshelves that I can pick up and enjoy.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a nice challenge or, or or a, a path or a suggestion or whatever you want to say to like move forward. I will say though, I made it up pretty significantly in the um, author spotlight um, side of things Um, with the author spotlights. um, I think probably about 45 books um, I've read of, of from the people in the author spotlight. So it's like, okay, so I feel a little better about myself. Oh,
0: that's good. Yeah. Um,
1: And then, you know, so um, that was my self soothing. Like, okay, you, you're not (laughs) brand new to horror, buddy. You've read a bunch of stuff, but like, Again, now this says you need to branch out. You need to find the other voices, the new voices. And actually, now that I think of it, it would have been 13 before I read Boys in the Valley just recently. So yeah, I definitely have some work to do, but it's, again, that's in the um, the in the in the spirit of, of why you did the whole thing.
0: Yeah, and I also just invite people too. Like I did, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it somewhere in the back in the Horror Junkies thing. Like I am on social media. So if people want to, you know, tag me, as they're reading along and, oh, this book was recommended in this book. I read it. I really liked it, you know, or I didn't particularly like it. Is there something else that's sort of like it I could read? Like I welcome any and all of those kinds of comments um, because I really love talking about books and um, recommending books to people and, um, also, just, like, buddy reading with people is really fun. Um, yeah. There's a few books in here that I highlighted would make, like, a good buddy read. Like, I think something like Come Closer or A Head Full of Ghosts that has endings. Uh, I'm thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reid. Like, just something that will provoke long open-ended conversations about what exactly happened according to the individual reader because I think some people come away with very strong conclusions and I think some people are just kind of like I want to hear what other people have to say before I decide on how I think that went you know
1: that's a good point and I think that especially with Paul's work because he does work a lot of ambiguity into a lot of his stories um talking about books that have that kind of like some things are up to interpretation with another person who might not might have seen it a different way helps shape kind of your overall impression of what the story was yeah
0: yeah definitely i like arguing about those things too i think like debating (laughs) debating it like if you're really brave you can go on reddit reddit people are really passionate and kind of like strong willed about certain things but there are some fun conversations about books on there
1: I I get annoying about it though sometimes because I I kind of look at storytelling sometimes as like you're establishing rules and and pay or or you're doing a a setup and a payoff kind of situation so like when I'm reading through a, a story. And there's something later in the book that's like well i don't know how to interpret this i'll be like well at this point and this point this happened and this established that when this happens that that's what this means and they're like all right all right like (laughs) it gets a little bit i get a little bit um like process i get into the process of it and i get really picky and detailed and sometimes I it takes the fun that's out of it.
0: cool. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> that's cool. I know a lot of people like you. Like I'm I'm kind of the person who gets in the backseat and lets the author drive. I've I've told that to people a lot of times. I'm not sol- I'm not out there solving thrillers. Like there are so many people who post like, oh, I saw the ending coming or I saw the plot twist, and I'm like, I didn't. I didn't yeah. see anything coming at all i mean movies are a different story i can predict movies pretty well but because the music and everything like tells me the smoking yeah. guns are more obvious but like i can't figure shit out at all so i remember really <laughs> to also do the driving and then i love talking to people who break down the mechanics and the plot holes and the the story elements. like i love having those conversations with people because i'm like oh that really unlocks the whole thing for me
1: that's what i do um I feel like as I'm reading through a book it's almost like I don't know if you ever watch like like poker or anything I don't but like I've seen how like when there a poker hand is happening and there's like three players it tells you what percentage Like chance they have of winning the hand.
0: Like in my mind,
1: like it's these three things could happen and this is the percent possibility that like this is gonna be the outcome is like kind of the way that my mind works. Until like one gets eliminated and I'm like, okay, well either this or this is gonna happen. And
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a whole way of reading that is like totally foreign to me. So if I ever (laughs) have any questions about a book I know you've read, like I am coming to you.
1: Yeah. But then, like, Josh Mallerman comes along with um, inspection and just completely just blows my mind with like one tiny chapter toward the end of the book. And I'm like, yeah. well, no one could have fucking seen that coming. So,
0: <laughs> yes, Josh Mallerman's good at that.
1: <laughs> so, before we wrap it up, is there anything maybe that I left out that is important to, to say about the book? Um, oh, I mean, I guess it's out August 8th, I believe, right? August 8th? Yeah,
0: the book is out August 8th. Um, the publisher is Page Street Publishing. Um, this is really their first out with um, something like this, uh, something very niche. I think that they're used to doing like cookbooks and, and craft books and specialty books. And this is kind of the first uh, genre focused nonfiction book that they've put out. So um, kind of check them out. They're really cool. Um, and also you can find me on social media. I am doing very poorly on TikTok. <laughs> um, I have not gotten <laughs> the hang of it. And I'm on Twitter and I'm on Bookstagram. So, and I'm under the Mother Horror Sadie Hartman handle. You can find me easily.
1: You have been, um, since I discovered you sometime in the last few years, um, just like the example of what uh, a, a, an enthusiast should be. And, oh, um, wow. I think that you are a huge asset to horror and horror authors. And um, yeah, just really appreciate your voice and all you do to elevate the the work. these amazing... And it's just the right time. Like, it's so... I, I was having a conversation with Josh Mallerman back in um, 2017 or 18. And I was like, man, all the horror books that are coming out this year are just insane i haven't seen it like this before and he's like we're in a moment we are in a moment and that moment has just gotten more big and i didn't expect it to be just continuously growing so um but when that happens there does need to be kind of shepherds that that point the way and, and you're definitely one of them so thank you for your contribution to the horror world and for for this book as being a big part of it
0: Wow. Well, thank you so much for your kind words. I really take that to heart. Um, And thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for being my first like big interview about (laughs) 101 horror books. So I appreciate you inviting me on your show. Um, It's always like fun to have some podcasts that I can recommend for people to, you know, pursue and to be on. Um, And I had a really wonderful time here. So